The views and opinions of this program are those of the host, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up with the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least, but there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic grain and energy solutions bored of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, soybeans and meal were the upside winners once again on the day, Monday. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here and making us part of your day. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. We have a busy show for you here today. We're going to discuss markets coming up with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing here in segment two and three. So definitely stay tuned for that. Later in the show, we're going to have a conversation with Cam Quarles, the CEO of the National Potato Council. They have a new study out looking at the economic impact of the potato industry here in the U.S. That and more, we're going to catch up with Cam Corals coming up later on in the program. Kicking things off, though, here today, another active weather week is ahead of us here across the country. Joining us now, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien. Eric, always great to catch up with you, sir. Hope you had a good weekend, and looks like we're staring at another active week ahead when it comes to the weather. Yeah, you know, the weekend was tough. Uh, there was a big system that rolled through the parts of the Midwest that dumped uh, some snow on the northern side. Incredibly strong winds. In fact, there's still like well over 100,000 people in Kentucky that still don't have power from that event last. I mean, that was Friday when that thing came through. Um, and uh, that was a that was a pretty potent little system. And while we have a, a short lull on the activity right now, it's all just going to go back to dumping more snow and rain on people that have had too much already. Definitely. Well, and that's something that you know, some folks, uh, just like you said, have had too much. They don't want to see any more, but they're going to see some more here this week. So walk us through what is the setup here for this week? I know we've been seeing some activity out in the western U.S. again. It's feel like that's going to shift off to the east. So what's the latest you're seeing, Eric? So, yeah, let's start in the west because uh, there was no need this year for what we call a miracle march. We didn't need to have all the moisture coming into the west. I mean, yeah, there's some places in the Pacific northwest that could use a little more snow, but it's not a desperate situation. And most of California, as I'm sure everyone's seen in the news and seen in reports, has had a tremendous amount of snow. In fact, there's over 80 inches of water in that snow when it all melts in the Sierra Nevada. Well, the atmosphere uh, has completely lost its lining characteristics over the last month, and it's actually going to be targeting what we call the Pineapple Express, the first event of which is going to get there by Friday. And it's just going to be a stream of moisture from Hawaii into California. So I was looking at some of the morning model runs and there are places in California that might pick up anywhere between 10 and 15 inches of liquid. I'm not talking about snow yet. This is just the liquid side of it, which means, you know, in some places in the Sierra Nevada, we'll have no trouble picking up three to five feet of snow out of this. So this is going to just push them over the top with water and it's going to start to cause major flooding issues in California uh, that I mean, we've already had flooding issues there that's going to continue. Then you say, well, what about the upper Midwest where all the snow has been? Well, the forecast models are suggesting coming out of Montana, eastern Montana into the Dakotas, clipping northern Nebraska, most of the northern part of Iowa, but Minnesota and Wisconsin. 
you know, the chances of getting another six inches are like 90%. So, I mean, that's the baseline of how much snow we're talking about of these next few systems. Meanwhile, I mean, I can't buy a snowflake here in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, we had a little bit over the weekend. It was gone by Saturday. It was already warm again. In fact, today, I mean, I'm preparing for uh, upper 60s for high temperatures. Mm. So the contrast has been quite uh, alarming. But uh, the other part of it is in the Mid-South, tremendous amounts of rain, a lot of river flooding going on right now. Um, but I'm trying to look for the bright side of all of this. All right. It is water. And maybe come July, we're going to be happy that it was here in March because it will get into the soil. I mean, the soil temperatures underneath all that snow in Minnesota are barely freezing, which means you're going to get some of this to melt and get in there. And what that does is it recharges the profile and buys us time should there be any sort of summer drought. But uh, the one last thing just to ruin everybody else's week is the cold air is finally going to get here at some point. Uh, probably after the 8th or the 9th, and we're going to see cold air from the Canadian prairie through the heart of the country all the way down to the south, which means after a very mild start to the year down south, there's now frost risk coming into the south. So um, plenty of things to be keeping an eye on, but uh, it's 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 March, right? I mean, March just yeah. does this. It's not just in basketball that there's madness. The atmosphere <laughs> is overturning, and we get that as well here. I couldn't agree more. I should ask as well, obviously some of these areas just getting more and more snow, more and more rainfall. How's that helping out that drought monitor picture across the country, Eric? I mean, Central Valley of California is not in drought, but uh, we seem to not be able to draw enough moisture back into the western and high plains to cure the long-standing drought there. All of the all of the moisture is like eastern Oklahoma and then get into the Mid-South. It's eastern Kansas. It's eastern Nebraska. And so you still have places in, in like New Mexico, Texas, West Texas, western Oklahoma, Kansas, West Kansas, Eastern Colorado that are, are going to see dust out of all of this. I mean, it is just completely robbing that area of, of any good moisture return. Now there is, it's better than it had been, but the far Western edges of those areas I just said, they're going to continue to be dry. Well, Eric, let's talk a little bit as well. The shift from La Nina to El Nino. I know uh, some new weather models out looking at that. What's the latest? Are we seeing an aggressive shift to El Nino or not? Well, you know, as an atmospheric scientist, I'm always very tempered in trying to figure out how quickly things can change. But the atmosphere is like in this full advertisement mode of saying, oh, La Nina didn't just end, but it just skipped neutral. And what I mean by that is that we've got all these really strong westerly wind bursts. Now, they could go away and they likely will. But they're what they are what is prompting all of this going on right now with the chaotic weather pattern. So new model data came out suggesting that by July, uh, we'll be firmly in the territory of El Nino. I still think it's a little too aggressive, but I can't rule it out yet. Uh, every major weather forecast model last month said it, and now the newest one that came out today or yesterday, which is the ECMWF seasonal outlook, wants to put uh, firmly El Nino conditions in place by summer. Well, how is that going to set us up then if we see those conditions here? What are we looking at for the U.S. growing season? Uh, any big weather features we have to keep an eye out for? Yeah, um, the weather features are favorable. I mean, you look at it and the model's not anchoring deep drought in any location. So we'll just have to be watching who's in drought right now as to where it's going to mm -hmm. continue. But it's, I mean, it actually tried to put most of the corn and soybean belt under wetter conditions for this summer, the Lewis model. And then it didn't even smoke out the West for heat. Uh, and if there's an El Nino, it tends to reduce uh, hurricane activity. So you look at all of that and you're like, 
where's the bad news in all of this? Now, bad news will surface. I can promise you that. But right now, the models at this point are just they're kind of like Oprah when she gives everything away for free, like here, you can have what you want. You can have what you want. And it, <laughs> so we just have to be careful that, uh, that the, that the forecast, while it shows such a generous uh, upcoming summer outlook for a lot of people, we have to take it with a grain of salt. It's long range forecast. Very true. Very true. South America, any thoughts, any updates there in Brazil and Argentina, Eric? Yeah. Central Brazil still has me worried. And what I mean by that is it's been so wet in Central Brazil that they're delayed in harvesting a crop and trying to plant safrina. Um, and uh, the latest model forecast keeps it very wet. Mato Grosso is just about perfect, to be honest. The, they got the safrina in. Now it's going to rain. I mean, what else could you ask for in Mato Grosso? But Argentina, um, while we are predicting some rains in southern growing areas, big chunk of Argentina spins this week hot and dry again, which is just going to further make the problems there worse. Well, you can sign up for Eric's daily weather newsletter online on our website, markettalkag.com. With that, Eric Snodgrass of Nutrien, thanks for joining us today, sir. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. Up next, we'll talk markets with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing. Back with more Market Talk right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we kicked off the week on Monday, soybeans, bean meal, cattle market, those were the uh, big winners on the day. Wheat, though, was a big loser. We're going to talk about all of that and more as we kick off a very uh, busy week with the March World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report coming up on Wednesday. Joining us now, John Heinberg with Total Farm Marketing is with us. John, hope you had a good weekend, sir, and uh, thanks for being on the show today as always. Yeah, it's actually a fairly nice weekend here. I mean, for March and the end of February. So, you know, we'll kind of see how things go as we got a little more snow, but not as much as some people are dealing with out there. That is for sure. Well, and it sounds like for uh, you there in Wisconsin, folks across the north going to get some more snow in the forecast this week, too. We heard that from Eric Snodgrass. So we're going to be watching and uh, seeing how that all plays out here for this week ahead. And speaking of this week ahead, John, I mentioned got the uh, WASDE report for March coming up on Wednesday. I know we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. Talk about some of the uh, moves in the grain trade as well here a little bit later. But first, I want to start. With livestock today, this cattle market on Monday, feeders screaming higher here to new highs, live cattle up moderately, we'll call it on the day. Man, what what happened in cattle? Was it just a case of some good money flow in or is there something that I'm missing in the trade, John? I think it's a combination of factors coming in. Let's go to that feeder market because that's where things really got volatile today with strong triple digit gains there. We're breaking out the new contract highs. You know, we had a, that's a chart that just a few days ago I was talking about looking a little bit on the defensive with some reversal action in it. And then, boy, we just kind of blew right through any seasonal weakness here so far to start the week this week. It's coming down to the cash market for feeders, at least at this time frame, from talking to producers out there. And I've been hearing this for quite a while, that what they were seeing on the cash market versus the futures weren't you know, coming together. And they felt the futures market was undervalued. Now, lately, the fat, the cash index has really taken off in the feeder market. It was up a buck 40 some plus today. It's been basically climbing steadily higher, but really surged out these last couple of weeks here. And that's, I think, is spilling into that feeder cattle market overall. And then you throw some technical buying in. We just have tight supplies and the cattle just are not available. You know, there's good value in the long-term live cattle market. And then and there's so demand that's there for the feeders. 
throw in just some weakness in the core market as well to help tighten up some of those margins a little bit. And here comes some money flow into that feeder market, which looks expensive. But when you look at history in terms of where it could get to, we still got some room to run. Well, we were just talking here this last week or so about how, you know, this cattle market was maybe looking a little tired. And then here we go and just flip the script to start a new week. Uh, and I know, too, I was looking through some numbers, you know, year to date beef production down, I think, 4.5% for the previous year. And that's just indicative of what you mentioned, just tight supplies out there. And, you know, I think about a little bit warmer weather, folks maybe getting ready to go uh, grocery store shopping, grilling season, maybe starting up a little earlier, probably not. But I just think about some of that retail demand and more. It definitely seems like it's shaping up this cattle market nicely after a little bit of a lull the last week or two. You know, I would agree. And, you know, you go look at the retail prices. Obviously, there's still some uh, some you know value out there. I was looking at the grocery store even yesterday and I'm like, you know, hey, ground beef's on sale. We got some prices here. They're manageable. They're not really taking off compared to where they could be given the value of what we're seeing on the other side of the equation. So, you know, there's still some, uh, you know, meat on the bone for the consumer. For that regard, we'll see what grilling season gives us. You know, you've kind of been talking about a script here. I've said a couple times, like, oh, it's looking a little tired. And then we take a little breather and I'm talking like a one or two day breather. and Boom, next leg. Same thing happened this week, too. Last week, things didn't look very good. Kind of talking about keeping some puts in play. You know, again, boom, here we go. New highs again today. So this thing really kicking in in terms of that money flow. And that's one of the reasons when it comes to managing your risk, especially in this market, you know, I've been kind of talking along the lines here, making sure you keep puts underneath. But I haven't done anything to lock in that top side because we just don't know. We're looking at a very historic situation in terms of the tightness of cattle, throw in there what's going on in terms of the demand side of the equation and just all the movement with money out there. You know, this market could take those highs out from 1214 and you know, 2014 and maybe then some. We'll see because the cattle market just doesn't have the supplies and we haven't seen anything that really changed that picture yet so far as we started 2023. Well, speaking of supplies, hog market, I know price is under some modest pressure on Monday. Looked like, for what I saw, the weekly kills exceeded expectations based on the latest USDA numbers. I'd have to think that maybe factored into just some of that moderate pressure uh, in the hog trade on the day Monday, John. Yeah, that April contract just can't seem to get any real traction. It felt like we had something moving and all of a sudden, boom, it falls apart again. And you know, even today we tried to turn a little bit positive and now we're down a buck at the saddle. It just just doesn't seem like any money really wants to step into that April contract. Some of that might be that tied to that index and the, the premium that the futures are holding. But we're getting a little bit more manageable, four and a half to five dollars where that difference is between the two. You know, one thing I'm watching though is that April June spread. It's really wide at $16 plus. Maybe that needs to narrow up in here somewhere as well. You know, so it feels like the hog market wants to go higher. You know, I want to say that that low we put in a couple of weeks ago is the low. And we should be starting to trend that way. You know, we're still seeing a decent move in the cash market. It's been trending higher. The index was up again last week. You know, retail values are kind of, you know, falling or pausing around those 85 per car on the carcass weight level. Uh, you know, so we'll have to see. But uh, at least at this time frame, it just feels like the money doesn't want to push us out. Maybe they're using that as the backside against the cattle trade with such strength in cattle markets. You know, let's sell some hogs as a hedge against it. 
That's a good point there. And I'll be watching how hogs trade, you know, see if April and that cash index continue to converge or whatnot. Maybe that's what we need to do before we make a leg higher. We'll have to see. Uh, Dairy market. Why don't we stay with the the proteins here real quick? Let's just touch on dairy before we go over to grains. Uh, Anything you are seeing stand out to you there as we start off the week, John? Well, again, I've called this one other time. We'll see if we can see it put together. But that 1740 area on that April contract, a little bit of a double bottom last week, kind of held that again here at the end of the week last week, a little bit higher now. We'll have to see. The biggest thing is going to be about demand. You know, they were watching cheese prices, big difference between blocks and barrels. Hopefully we can get that to tighten up. You know, we got a little bit of boost in the barrel side today in terms of being about five, six cents higher. You know, so that's giving us a little strength. I think it's a market. Hopefully it's trying to put some significant lows in. And hopefully it can turn. But again, we're going to get to that window. We're going to see production continue to ramp up as long as the demand's there. That's going to be a big factor. you know. But I'd still be a little cautious, Mark. If you get any good runs up, it's going to be an opportunity, I think, to make sure you get some defense put together, making some sales on that milk. Uh, because, again, just the whole overall picture still looks a little bit heavy right now, at least for those milk prices. Hopefully we can hold this latest low that we put in here. Otherwise, it's still a slippery slope. Yeah, it just feels like this dairy market has been on that just that downward slope and it really feels like one of those markets. We talk a lot about risk management, but as you you mentioned it again there, protected some of that downside risk here for our our dairy men and women just with the way this market has been acting as of late, John. Very much so. And one of the other things, too, and, you know, unlike in livestock markets, you know, where you get high prices that might limit numbers in the lot. And the dairy side, when you seem to get prices coming down, they start breaking down production per cow. They're going to step an extra animal under two to get some little bit more income. That just turns into more production. So it turns into a little bit of a vicious cycle in terms of too many cows, too much production. And, uh, you know, just keeps weight on the market in general. So, you know, you can't compare the two hoof and animals versus the milk production market side of it, just at least in terms of the impact of inputs and feed costs. Well, once again, we are chatting with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing here today. We're going to continue our conversation. We're going to dive into the grain trade coming up here in segment three as we got export inspections out. Uh, We're going to take a look at how beans and meal fared to the upside, all the pressure in the wheat market as well. We're going to get to all of that coming up here as we uh, get uh, further on in the show here coming up after the break. Before we hit the break, though, want to look at the closing numbers across the trade on the day on Monday. March corn down three quarters, 644 to half. May corn down two and three quarters at 637. December corn down 1570. March beans up 10 and a half, 1541. May up 10 and a quarter, 1529. And new crop November soybeans, those were up six and a quarter, 1379 and a quarter. Soybean meal, March up 980 a ton, 50790. May bean meal up 1210 a ton, 49340. March bean oil down 73 points, 5988. May down 74 points. Points at 60.45. Chicago wheat marched down 13 and a quarter, 682 and a half. May down 13 and a half, 695 and a quarter. July Chicago wheat down 13 and a quarter, 703 and a half. March Kansas City wheat, 18 and a half, lower 804. May down 18 and a half, 797 and three quarters. July KC wheat down 17, 791 and three quarters. Spring wheat, 
for March, two and a half lower, 866. May down 11 and a quarter, 861 and a half. July was down 10 at 859. Feeder cattle for March up 207, 19207. April up 257, 198.60. April live cattle up 67, 166.10. June up 32, 161. August live cattle up 57, 160.47. Hogs, April down 107, 83.47. May down 40, 93.05. June hogs unchanged at 162. We'll continue with John Heimberg at Total Farm Marketing coming up after this. Back with more Market Talk right after the break. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Market Talk with Jesse Allen. We are having a conversation today with John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing as we kicked off the week on Monday. And uh, John, let's segue over to grains. Uh, soybeans, meal, they were the big winners on the day. A little off the session highs, but still a really robust day there. Wheat, though, under a lot of heavy pressure. Corn kind of just caught in the middle between the two. Uh, I know export inspections, we got those on Monday. We can talk about those. Uh, overall, just to start us off, though, it, that to me, it just felt like the case of beans, wheat, upside, downside, and then corn kind of caught in the middle on the day Monday. I'd say that's a good way to put it together in terms of how you bracket it out. Let's go right into that bean market. Coming back to that Argentina weather, you know, a few weeks ago, we had some moisture come in. Everybody thought, that, hey, the later crop beans, they'll be fine. They're going to get supported. That kind of brought the market down. Well, guess what? The weather changed again, and now we're starting to see some more analysts cut into those numbers. You know, there's some whisper of a sub-30 million metric ton number. That would be just a dismal crop coming out of Argentina. We're seeing uh, premiums for soybean meal here in the United States starting to climb in terms of the cost that the producers have to pick up. So you saw soybean meal surge out to new contract highs today, held most of those gains into the close. The charts look a little friendly. That's spilling over into the soybean market as the crush margin still stays fairly strong. And again, we are still dealing with a tight supply picture here. You know, we don't have 500 million bushels laying around. It's barely 200 million or a little over 200 million, according to the USDA. So we'll see how that plays out um, and going forward. So even despite those export inspections numbers being pretty dismal today, below expectations in terms of the analyst range, you know, 500,000 uh, tons, again, showing that that export window might be closing. Here comes the domestic cash market where cash here in the U.S. can still be king and keep some support in that B market overall. And charts, you know, we put a significant low in, kind of a turn low there when we hit 475 or real close to that on the, or 1475 when we hit that on the May the other day. And that just seems to bring some more money flow into that. This is a low that can hold us. Now let's go see how far we can stretch it to the upside. And it feels like in beans, especially, we just hit some of that chart resistance overhead. And so maybe now, to your point about setting that low, maybe we're setting you know our high, and we kind of just got this range now that we're gonna we're gonna play it for the foreseeable future, John. As I think too, ahead of Wednesday's WASDI report, I feel like maybe we're pricing in some of 
the USDA moves already in the market on Monday? Yeah, we're looking at maybe a little bit of tightening. At least that's what the analyst expectations are in terms of the soybean carryout. You know, maybe we get a little bump in the crush or maybe we do get a little bump in the export side, you know, because shipments and things have been very, very good. And we are ahead of the USDA projections. And, you know, to me, I think maybe we just kind of kick the can down the road in this one, leave everything kind of status quo. and We'll figure it out in April and May. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we could see the, just a little bit of tightening, maybe coming down five million bushels or five, uh, five million bushels what the market's expecting. So we could be priced that in. You know, this 1540 area on the May contract, we kind of failed there a little bit today. It's going to be a pretty tough barrier to get through. If we do, then maybe we got some more upside to it. You know, right now, if you kind of plop it into a range, we kind of got back to the middle of the range today. So we'll have to see. You know, it's a window. If guys have some beans and need to make some sales, maybe to go ahead and take a look at those here before that report comes out, just in case we get something negative. You know, we still hear talking out of Brazil. Okay, premium levels are coming down. Sound like good farmer selling today as that harvest continues to move along. Now, there's still a window where that's going to weigh on this bean market overall. But right now, it's still about Argentina and soybean meal and the demand for that meal product that's out there that's giving this market its boost. On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, Monday, wheat was just dismal. Uh, Chicago, KC, wheat, you know, rumors and talk that uh, the expectation the Ukraine grain deal is going to get extended. And I know that weighed in a little bit. And then it looked like we just fell below some chart support and that accelerated the selling pressure there. Is that kind of what you saw in those uh, winter wheats today? Yeah, difficult day to start uh, start the week here in the in the wheat market, breaking the new nearby lows and you know and definitely falling through some support levels. Started on the overnight session, talk of Russian wheat prices continuing the, the fall that makes things even harder for us on the export front. Again, throw in today's export inspections at two hundred and sixty thousand tons. That's just basically minimal. Uh, so we're not moving the product overall. Got some forecasts for some moisture again across some of the southern plains as that keeps some pressure in the winter wheat market as well. You know, so just combination of factors coming in here. Just felt like maybe this market wanted to get a little footing after last week's difficult start. But now here we go with another wave down as the funds continue to push their short wheat position or at least the best that we know they have, uh, mm -hmm. given the commitment of traders numbers. Uh, but I haven't seen anything to bring them out of that short position. And the news just is not there. And obviously that just spills over and makes it difficult for corn to rally. Well, and speaking of corn, King Corn, let's talk about it. You know, kind of caught in the middle um, exports, you know, looking at those inspection numbers, talk that USDA could cut U.S. exports on Wednesday's report. I know those are out there in the trade. We got some sales uh, that we got reported uh, Monday morning as well. Uh, but this corn, corn just seems like it is it is on that teeter-totter right now, John. I don't know that's the best way I could say it. And it's getting ready to go one way or the other. Yeah, it is. And, it, you know, again, you know, maybe we got some support in here. But, boy, if we keeps pulling down the being the anchor, it's going to make it hard. You know, we're still got a lot of demand concerns. Nice to see a couple sales step into the market here today. I mean, right now we are the most valuable corn, in, uh, most valuable in terms of price corn in the world at this time frame. Just a matter of how much is out there for supply. You still got a lot of battle here in the countryside between east and west, trying to get product from that from one side to the other. So that just still is some of the reason I think the exports aren't there. Things are just limited in terms of what we have to offer overall. But with that, just again, market today just didn't seem to want to go anywhere because of the way the wheat market was acting. Now, if we go into that report this week, they do raise carryover up. You know, they're talking maybe about 40, 50 million bushels is what the analysts are expecting. 
probably the most likely on an export cut or an ethanol cut or a combination of the two. You know, that just keeps the trend intact as supplies continue to get bigger from report to report. You know, and that just makes the momentum and, you know, and just the sentiment of the market stay on the bearish side in here. You know, so I talked to a few producers today. If they got some old crop corn, do we move a little here if we get some strength? Probably a good window to do that. You can always come back and do some reownership. You know, and also, what do we start thinking about 24 or 23 crop and getting some puts put in? Typically, between now and Father's Day is that area you want to make sure you're building some base on the defensive side, at least in terms of that new crop corn. John, I know you got a busy afternoon. We got to let you run. Any final thoughts you have for us, real quick, here before we wrap it up today? You know, realistic of this, the report this week, probably more of a speed bump unless we get some types of surprise. We'll watch what they do with the Argentina numbers. That's still probably, I think, what the market's going to be focused on. USDA will likely slow play that in terms of bringing that crop number down even more so. But then after that, then it's going to get interesting. Then we got a couple of weeks to start talking about acres. And truly, the report that'll be the biggest focus of the market is the one at the end of the month with the planning intentions. So take advantage of those opportunities. Still a lot of risk and a lot of value out there in all these markets for producers making sure you're just being wise to your and disciplined to your strategies and john if folks have questions want to talk to you at total farm marketing i know the website phone call email a lot of ways to get in touch with you isn't there sure love chat with any time give me a call 800-334-9779 shoot me an email john h at totalfarmmarketing.com and again don't forget that website of ours totalfarmmarketing.com a lot of great information out there again doesn't cost anything to pick up the phone and ask questions John, always a pleasure, sir. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Have a great week. And once again, John Heimberg there with Total Farm Marketing joining us here today on Market Talk. We appreciate his time in joining us here, as always, uh, kicking off the week of trade. Want to hit a news headline, though, before we hit to hit the break here. The U.S. Trade Representative on Monday initiated a technical consultation with Mexico, a move that puts the U.S. one step away from filing a full dispute settlement under the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement over the aggressive steps Mexico has taken to ban biotech corn. Mexico at market for corn, the number one agricultural export from the U.S. The National Corn Growers Association, which along with affiliated state associations, has been leading calls for the Biden administration to act. They applauded the development and urged USTR to expedite the process. NCGA President Tom Haig says, quote, we're pleased USTR is taking the next step to hold Mexican officials accountable for the commitments they made under USMCA, which include accepting both biotech and non-biotech commodities. Mexico's position on biotech corn is already creating uncertainty, so we need U.S. officials to move swiftly and do everything it takes to eliminate this trade barrier in the very near future, end quote. And again, that is a comment from NCGA President Tom Haig. Now, as far as a technical consultation, it will bring leaders from both countries into formal discussions as part of the process, which can happen in person or virtually. Both countries can tap their experts to share information on agricultural biotechnology. If this step does not resolve the impasse, the U.S. can then initiate a dispute settlement under USMCA. Other groups reacting as well, including the U.S. Grains Council, they have uh, come out. Their CEO, Ryan Legrand, saying, quote, the U.S. Grains Council thanks the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative for initiating the consultation with Mexico under USMCA because it undermines U.S. corn's access to the Mexican market. We've had a long and productive relationship with Mexico. It is our number one market for U.S. corn, and we support this action because it will likely be the most expedient way to ensure that positive relationship continues, end quote. 
Also, the corn refiners, uh, they issued a statement as we got uh, comments from them saying thanks to Ambassador Catherine Tai and USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack for their leadership and continued insistence upon full compliance with UMCA. While we are disappointed that it was necessary for the U.S. to take this first formal step under USMCA, we are pleased that the scope of this controversy has been dramatically narrowed and both parties are working within the framework of USMCA to resolve their differences. End quote. Again, that's comments from the corn refiners. Coming up here later this week, we'll be at Commodity Classic in Orlando, Florida, broadcasting Market Talk live with the National Corn Growers Association. And I know we'll be talking more about this issue as well as other topics with the corn growers uh, coming up here later this week on Market Talk. So looking forward to that. All right, coming up next, speaking of topics to discuss, we're going to dive into the potato industry. National Potato Council CEO Cam Corals, he joins us next as we're back with more Market talk on the way right after the break market information that matters to you on market talk now back to jesse allen and joining us now on the program we have to talk potatoes cam coral ceo of the national potato council is with us and cam always a pleasure to have you on the show sir i hope you're doing well doing great jesse thanks for having me on Thanks for the time and uh, really uh, a lot of things to talk about, a couple of which very excited to learn more about with the uh, NPC. Let's let's jump into those things first. A, a new report out here last week looking at the potato industry in the U.S., the contribution to uh, America's economy. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the highlights uh, in this report for us, Cam? Sure, uh, happy to. So uh, we just completed our Washington summit last week, Jesse, where we rolled out this economic analysis that was conducted by Michigan State University. Um, I, I, I think we it had been a, a fair amount of time since there had been a national and international analysis of what the U.S. potato industry generates uh, in terms of economic contribution. Uh, so. Uh, Michigan State went out and conducted that analysis. And I think even, even the folks inside the industry were, um, were impressed and kind of amazed by the numbers. So I'll hit the highlights for you. Um, overall, the, the U.S. potato industry generates slightly more than $100 billion a year for the U.S. economy. Um, all of that starts on potato growers' family farms across the U.S., uh, and it really encompasses not only the production side, but also processing, wholesaling, retail, and then all the way up through household consumption, food service, uh, all the various ways that potatoes are consumed. It's a really impressive, uh, impressive overall number. And then when you focus on some of the other numbers embedded within it, 714,000 jobs in the United States are in some way dependent on the potato industry. And of those jobs, they overall, the wages generated by those 714,000 jobs, roughly $34 billion. So a very, very impressive contribution by this great industry to the United States. 
Just uh, amazing numbers, Cam. And, you know, like you alluded to, just a huge part of the economy. Not only are potatoes, uh, you know, healthy and good for our diet, but great for our economy as well here in the U.S. So fantastic numbers. I know folks can look at that full report, nationalpotatocouncil.org forward slash Spud Nation. That is where they can get the details. Let's talk as well. I know um, new officers elected for the National Potato Council last week, including uh, a new president and others can you uh talk to us about uh, some of the folks who are going to be uh, officers here moving forward this year yeah absolutely so uh, uh jared balcom who was our president for the last uh year for 2022 handed the gavel over jared is from washington state he's a very well-known grower in washington state has been a tremendous uh president for the national potato council um, he handed the gavel over to R.J. Andrus, and R.J. is from uh, the great state of Idaho, and he will be our president through 2023. So our Washington Summit uh, combines all of the best parts of what was previously our annual meeting and then our, our D.C. fly-in. And so that, that gavel exchange happened during the annual meeting portion of our event. Um, we were also very fortunate uh, Secretary Vilsack came to our event and accepted an award from the National Potato Council honoring uh, all of the work that he did to open the uh, Mexican market to U.S. fresh potatoes. So we're excited by that. And uh, Jesse, the, the, the appropriate way to honor the Secretary of Agriculture from the potato industry is to provide him with a golden Mr. Potato Head. And that's exactly <laughs> what we did. So that was a lot of fun. That's fantastic, fantastic stuff. And you mentioned this Washington Summit now a couple of times and a lot of business, uh, the Potato Council conducting during your annual summit. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things you guys are working on currently on the Hill there in D.C. when it comes to Farm Bill. Obviously, we're in the middle of those discussions much more. What's some of the latest uh, that you guys are looking at and working on on Capitol Hill? Yeah, our, our priorities, Jesse, you hit on a big one, Farm Bill. Uh, there's a huge number of meetings are taking place right now, trying to get the, uh, the 2023 farm bill process off to a really solid start. I think I have four on my calendar just today um, with various uh, uh, Hill offices. Uh, farm bill, trade policy, uh, I mentioned the Mexico issue. We have several other opportunities. Uh, we really wanna move the ball forward on. Uh, very hopeful that we can open Japan the same way that we open Mexico to U.S. fresh potato exports. Uh, we want to get appropriate funding for uh, our research priorities in either the farm bill or the appropriations bill. Nutrition is a big deal, Jesse. I, I think um, uh, we may have spoken before on this that there there are efforts right now it, with some uh, some of the folks involved in the dietary guidelines for Americans they're considering whether or not to reclassify the potato as not a vegetable anymore. And um, obviously our industry doesn't like that very much. We're the most widely consumed vegetable in the United States, most widely produced as well. And uh, to, to have a, a group of well-intended, I'm sure academics who are considering that question um, is uh, that's just gonna create chaos for consumers, for our industry, for Capitol Hill. Uh, we want them to discard that bad idea very quickly. And then uh, last thing I'll mention, uh, our folks are very, very focused on 
the encroachment of government regulations on their business, kind of the government overreach, talking about things like the SEC climate rule, uh, WOTUS is back, and certainly a lot of the, the intent by some of the activist community to discard science-based regulation of all of these essential pesticides that we use to knock down pests and diseases. That was a big focus for our, our folks last week. Fantastic. We appreciate a little bit of time here today with that. National Potato Council CEO Cam Quarles, thanks for joining us, sir. We'll talk to you again in the very near future, I hope. Great, Jesse. Thanks for the time. And you can learn more online, nationalpotatocouncil.org. That's all the time we have for Market Talk today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.